Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. everybody here today in the morning for us on most of this group is on the west coast for those of you that are on the east coast grab a sandwich and join us for this awesome talk and we're actually going to talk about you each and every one of you and why you need to be a leader whether or not you are an individual contributor you're like why do i have to be a leader i'm just making an animation or i'm just building an object that's going to go into this game, or I'm just doing a design today, you actually have to be a leader. Every one of us has to make decisions. Before you turn in any of your work, you're making a decision where you're being a leader in that decision. And we're going to talk about why that's so important. And in particular, why it's so important because of how you're meeting with us all today. We're all remote we can't be with everybody every day. We're not giving everybody group hugs. <laughs> We're not able to go and like have somebody peek over our shoulder and tell us, oh, maybe it should be blue or red. Don't you love that when somebody walks up behind you and tells you what your work should or should not be for the day? Well, we're going to talk about how you're going to be able to lead those decisions, make the right decisions and collaborate with a bigger team who may have a leader that's driving the vision. But ultimately, everybody in the room is our leaders making that product a success. So what I did today, I, I use the word I, I will hopefully only use that word once today, I, myself is, my name is Virginia MacArthur. Um, and I have been in this industry since the 90s, 1990, we're in 2023, that's crazy, I've been here a long time. Um, and I did start as an individual contributor, but I had a lot of mentors along the way that empowered me not only to do my best but also to search and look for others that would empower the product and the team and themselves to just elevate and bring both ourselves the product and the players a better experience so this group here i pulled together people that i feel like have not only empowered me, whether they know it or not, everyone on this call has empowered me to challenge myself, but also challenge the teams that they work with. So I am gonna pass it. I like doing football when we're all on uh, on Zoom like this. I'm gonna pass it to Farsheed. Farsheed, introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. Um, first of all, thank you, Virginia, for having me on the panel. I think it's... Uh... I was lucky enough to work with Virginia for a very long time over at uh, Electronic Arts, and uh, we actually had a lot of fun together. And uh, you know, some sometimes we even argued about a lot of fun things. So, you know, so some of those blue and green statements that she was mentioning. Um, let me introduce myself. My name is Farshid Almasizade. I am a, a VP over at Niantic, uh, VP of Games, um, and my history is probably one of the longest here, anyways. <laughs> Um, I've been in the game industry since the late 80s, uh, and I started my career, um, my very first thing that I did was working on stand-up arcade games for and shipping things, or not shipping things, depending <laughs> on what we made, uh, uh, for Sega cabinets, you know, those are things we throw coins into. Um, just a quick background of uh, going through the decades, uh, I started my own company while I was in college, it was called Presto Studios. Um, the background I have here is one of the games that we've created there called Mist 3. 
which some uh, some of you uh, may or may not know. Um, if not, you can actually play it on the web. I think they remastered it and put it out there on good old games. Um, and then since then, I have been uh, in and out of the game industry uh, predominantly in uh, for the next 30 years or so. Um, I've also worked at Electronic Arts uh, for about 10 years doing console. Uh, that's uh, And then also moving over to mobile. We helped launch the entire mobile apps ecosystem, which was a lot of fun. Um, so all of the app stores, uh, you know, uh, those were, we had some, some, some things to do with that uh, and getting our products out there. Uh, and then, you know, finally, I've also worked in education where I helped little, little kids learn how to read and do math and, and whatnot. And then uh, the last, my last stop here uh, this year has been uh, Atlantic working on um, a game that I'm very proud of, which is Pokemon Go, because uh, after six years, or it's uh, doing the best it's ever done and continues to, you know, get out there even through the pandemic. So that was a lot of fun. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the ball back to awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Farshi, because my son at 10:30 two nights ago came into my room and said, "Mom, I'm I gotta go catch a Pokemon. There's a rare one around the corner." It was like our first rain and like I don't know how long and it's raining. I was like, "No." <laughs> anyway, so thank you, Farshi. All right, I am gonna pass the ball to Nan. Go. Hey everyone, I'm Nan. Um, a bit about me and my background. Uh, I actually did not start directly in gaming. Um, when I started my career in tech uh, over a decade ago, um, it was actually uh, in software development, product development. I worked at a, a consulting company called ThoughtWorks. Um, they're pretty well known in the space for agile software development, uh, which uh, is a practice that gaming industries uh, have adopted over time. Um, after ThoughtWorks, I uh, landed at a startup in uh, the Bay Area called Tinker. Um, they are one of the uh, major platforms for educational games uh, for kids uh, to you know, teach them programming and math and all, all kinds of other skills. Um, and I did a lot of design. Uh, so my background has been in UX design, product design, although I played many, many roles. Uh, I've done project management, product management, QA, front end development. Um, so I think that's one of my favorite things about startups is you can you know, wear many hats. Um, after Tinker, I actually then worked at Crunchyroll. Uh, if any of you are anime fans, um, yeah, that was a big passion of mine too. Uh, and you know, being in the entertainment space, there's also crossover in gaming. Um, so you know, led design on one of their major uh, mobile projects called Verve. Um, so that was a lot of fun, uh, kind of in the trenches, uh, you know, doing a lot of that design execution work. Um, and then after Crunchyroll, I ended up leading a design team at another startup called Plays TV. Uh, and we were building software to help gamers record and share their gameplay experiences um, and building kind of a social network uh, there. Um, and I was at Plays for uh, a while and then uh, ended up at Endless where I got to work with Virginia. Um, and there I actually kind of uh, play more of an operational like general manager role, um, not just design, but got to basically run like an indie little game studio uh, working with um, many different uh, other game studios to produce uh, and publish. I think we made like 16 uh, educational games uh, that, you know, teach. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> you know, 16 games. Um, yeah, at that number, uh, there's so much work went into building those games, as you guys all know. Um, but we did that in, I think, two and a half years, three years. But it was a lot of... Um, building a machine to, you know, have teams just kind of running in parallel. Um, and that was a, a huge learning experience for me. Um, uh, yeah. And then after Endless, um, I ended up kind of getting into some esports uh, uh, world, um, but then, you know, doing a lot more of like startup advisory work. Because uh, what I found in my experience here, you know, having come from product and uh, gaming um, backgrounds, I see a lot of crossover where there's a lot of startups, um, you know, that are more product oriented, trying to get into gaming or using games as part of their uh, product offering. And then same with gaming companies and startups uh, trying to get more into products and do, you know, building games as a service or platforms uh, for their games. So there's a lot of fascinating crossover. Um, so a lot of my startup work there is helping these, um, you know, uh, teams try to figure out how to find that uh, that 
space. Um, uh, and then my current day job uh, is uh, actually I'm head of design at a Series A fintech uh, startup called Rain. Um, so I'm taking a little bit of uh, a break from the gaming space, although I'm still doing the advisory work. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, you know, learning about fintech uh, and, and getting, you know, it, building a design team um, and, and helping that uh, company grow. Um, so that's a bit about me. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. All right, taking that back, Allison. Yeah, so I'm Allison. Um, I'll just lump it in terms of the types of stuff I've done. So I've done project management and operations, mostly for advertising campaigns and games. So I was at Twitch for two and a half years doing influencer campaigns, um, briefly at a marketing agency, and am now at an esports team running their scholarship program as well as their marketing campaigns. And then uh, on top of that, I briefly did product management at a, a speedrunning site, speedrun.com. And then I was also briefly at a uh, esports app called Blitz. So both of those involving a lot of running teams, but in different ways. So jumped around to a lot of different gaming spaces so far. Awesome. Thanks, Allison. Thanks for being here. Um, so I had not worked with Allison previously, but when Nan sent me a note about you, Allison, she was like, you don't understand. She's just awesome. And then when I heard that you were basically, you know, running the scholarship program, I was like, all right, she's in because you are basically empowering the leaders in this game space for tomorrow. So thank you, Allison, for that. Excited to have you here. And then last, but definitely not least, Mr. Austin. Hey, how's it going? My name's Austin McCrell. I'm a software engineer based out of Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, I probably have the shortest history out of everybody. I came, uh, I'm a self-taught engineer. I came from the restaurant industry originally uh, and was kind of working on some projects on my own when I met, uh, my first mentor, John Weinberger, who works at Game Dev HQ, uh, and he gave me the opportunity to work for a state-funded program that was teaching people from the uh, restaurant industry how to program and try and transition them into tech careers. So I got to be a coach for that for about a year. Uh, from there, I transitioned that into a job with him, uh, creating a VR intensive course where I created a cool space game and led a group of 12 people uh, to all create it on their own. Uh, with that VR experience, I was able to transition it to my job at Forever Games, where I'm at currently, where I'm at Virginia. Um, and I'm an engineer over there. I've been there for about a year now. Uh, it is not a short career, as Parshi <laughs> mentioned yesterday. In the gaming space, all of you on this call know, um, one year is the equivalent of dog years. It feels like seven years. <laughs> There you go. So, because you're always kind of inventing, like we are truly inventors. We're always kind of making this space better uh, for everyone. And Austin did that. Um, he may not help this, but definitely helped coming in um, for VR. No one had really kind of cross promoted in between two games and Austin jumped in and figured out how to do that. Uh, so you are a seasoned engineer at this point, Austin. So welcome for being on. Welcome. Welcome to this panel. Um, so yes, I'm actually going to jump to a deck uh, that's going to kind of, so here's the overview of our panel, but to introduce myself, I thought I would actually talk about why I kind of wanted to do this panel. Um, and I want to talk about two people that have been in my space uh, that I've worked with in the past and that I kind of feel like were leaders in their own right. But the thing that these, both of these individuals were able to do not only did they lead by example, but they led with crisp vision and they always asked for purpose. What is your purpose on the team? And they always had a purpose. They were pushing the envelope with every space, with every product, with every idea they ever had. Um, I love this picture of Will Wright <laughs> that I found. He does these master classes now. Um, I highly encourage you to watch that if you have not. But what is interesting is all that stuff in the background, Will didn't do all that stuff. That, that, that work came from everybody on his team. And Will led with a vision. And he, he wanted to create games that were based on kind of reality, what like you and I know about today. Like literally, you know how to go to the bathroom because you have an urge. <laughs> Like, you know how to eat because you're hungry. 
And so what he did is he brought together a group of game makers that were kind of passionate about relationships. They were passionate about like how we interacted with each other. We were so passionate. We were really a family working at Maxis. But I love that that is one of his quotes. He talks about that. It's like, I want to reach gamers because I'm reaching them where they are. And then he's going to challenge you. He's going to challenge you to then create your own game and your own world based on how you live your everyday life. But kudos to Will for being a leader that really kind of empowered all of us to be leaders with every job that we had, because it didn't take just one piece of paper on that background behind Will. It took every piece of paper <laughs> behind Will to make each of those products. And not every one of them has succeeded, but that is what was great because together, both with the community and the team, we made great product. The other thing is Alan Kay. So being able to work with Alan Kay was kind of a highlight of my career and Brett Victor, who actually I worked with directly. Um, but he always said like, you gotta either make it simple or if it's complex, it's possible. So for those of you call on this call that don't know Alan Kay, search him up. Um, when you search, you're gonna type in, you're gonna see some things, some buttons, you're gonna hit on them. That's Alan, Alan, the GUI, the, the graphical user interface that we all use in computation and personal computing today, that, that was kind of his work, but not his alone. He inspired others to actually just evolve the computer. He always says technology isn't quite yet invented yet. You're gonna invent it. And that's why I love this image of him where he's kind of pointing out to the audience because he's pointing out to everyone else to say, you, <laughs> you guys go make this better because you can. All right. So how do you do that? Like how do successful leaders do that? Well, I want everyone to think about executive function. You're like, am I at the therapist today? <laughs> no, but, and, and this is, I'm going to go back to that you, and I'm going to go back to the I, I said, I wouldn't do it, but I'm doing it again. Um, I don't know if you can see me, but there's my wonder woman behind me. I have my, my Batman necklace and, it's, you know, there, there are superheroes and whenever I interview and I bring people into the fold, into the family of people that I'm going to work with, I ask them, what's your superpower? Because I want people to be self-aware. I want them to know what they do well and what they know that they don't do well, <laughs> because I want them to be humble. I want them to plan and problem solve what they don't know well. I want them to ask questions. I want everybody to ask questions and to push the envelope, but to come to the room with intention. And that intention goes back to the vision that somebody has helped set. And then we're all aware of what we know and we don't know. And we're going to push that vision forward together through planning and problem solving. The other thing that I want everybody on this call to know, it's okay to get upset. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. And letting that go sometimes is great, but self-regulate them. Know that you might get upset and be like, I need to take a break. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out for a minute, but then come back in. It's okay to get mad. It's okay to get angry, but do it gracefully. The next thing, we all need to create safe environments, especially now that we're working like this. Um, kind of let go of your ego. You're not the best person in the room. <laughs> Like we're not like, that's, what's so great about this because I always want, I, again, I always want to find those people that are better, that know more than me, because then that is going to in turn help everyone in the room to elevate themselves. I also want everybody as leaders to kind of look at their reality. Like, what can we get done? What can we not get done? But give yourself some room to take risk. It is time to start slowing down. If there's one thing, one thing the pandemic has done for everyone is just tell us, slow down a little bit and reflect. Give everybody on this call a voice. I'm about to do that. And over-communicate. Say it once, say it twice, say it three times. Maybe a fourth time. And then lastly, always say thank you. I, I found this picture of Thomas Keller. Um, he, <laughs> he may not always create a safe environment. <laughs> He's working with knives, for example, but he empowers everybody in that kitchen to do their best. He hires the best, but he wants them to constantly do the best. 
but it is a family. And when he ends the evening, he gets everybody together and he says, thank you. And he says, thank you again, because without you, I couldn't do this. And he starts with the dishwasher. And he starts with that dishwasher because he says, without you, I couldn't even plate this amazing food that this room just put together. So take a pause and thank everyone. And then just know it is a group. It takes everybody. It's less about the answer. It's about empowering everyone in the room to give the answer. It's not just one. It's not just the I. It's the we. So with that, I'm going to stop sharing screen. And we're going to go to some questions. So we can close, stop sharing. And I'm going to go and talk to each and every one of you. Oh, here, I'm going to stop sharing. Maybe I have to. There we go. Awesome. So let's see. I'm going to throw my first question over to, let's start with Nan. And Nan, what's important to you for being a leader? What is the most important thing when you walk, when you wake up and you say, I'm going to a meeting today, what's the most important thing for you when you want to lead the room? Yeah, I, I mean, I think of leadership as kind of two aspects. Um, and the most important thing for me is, you know, like if you're in a team, and if you think about a, a game you might play, you're kind of playing the support, right? The bard, um, you're giving your team a 30% buff. That's how I think of leadership. Um, you know, you're not there to be the main uh, damage dealer, right? <laughs> like you're here to help everyone else um, do better. Um, so for me, leadership, it's about developing soft skills. Um, those are really uh, hard to like learn in general, right? Um, I think a lot of us uh, have a lot of great hard skills. Like you might be really good at programming or you're an artist, a savant, right? You're just really good at those hard skills. But, you know, just because you're really good at hard skills doesn't mean that th that translates uh, extremely well into, you know, soft skills. Um, so when I mean about soft skills, it's like communication, um, understanding personality types, how people work together. It's a bit of, uh, you know, understanding psychology and sometimes you have to play the therapist. Um, but really, your goal is to get the best out of the people on the team. And a lot of times it's just listening to them, you know, what problems they might have, helping to solve those problems for them so they can do their uh, best work. Um, and then the second part for me, it's really kind of the uh, courage and conviction part, um, you're upholding the vision uh, for your team, right? So companies and uh, teams like we have to make money, right, as a business. <laughs> and a lot of times um, those company goals get translated into certain ways um, that you know, your team members might not directly understand, like, oh, why do we have to, you know, do this particular thing on our roadmap? Um, and sometimes it's, you know, being that vision holder for your team and saying, like, hey, understand, you know, this this may not, you know, seem like the best, like, short-term, you know, goal, but, and even if we disagree, right, it's about getting through that disagreement and saying, once we get alignment and agreement, we have to play nice and, and still, you know, get everyone behind that vision. And so I think the other part of leadership is, you know, very much uh, continuing to reinforce that vision and checking in with people and making sure that when your team is executing, right, we're all kind of executing against that common vision. And it's okay if it changes, right? Over time, you check in and you might make adjustments and say, hey, we learned something new uh, and now we're going to adjust. Um, and then really, you know, being a shield for your team as well, right? I think it's the being able to manage expectations, manage upward. Uh, to your stakeholders, your boss, um, and then, you know, manage down uh, and manage across, right? So those are a lot of those skills that I think just kind of come with uh, a lot over time. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of nuanced learning and, and building muscle memory, right? I think um, over time, you'll, you'll start building those instincts of like, oh, I'm having this difficult conversation. And, I, and you like can recall when you've had conversations like that in the past. And like, you know, you can kind of manage, uh, manage new scenarios. Um, but yeah, that's high level for me. Um, I love it. Um, I, I like the be a shield. Like, I think that's really important in a team environment. Like if, especially in calls where you feel like somebody kind of, you kind of just see it, you can see it on their face and they've, they've been talking and then all of a sudden they just stop talking. Right. And it's like, you can be a shield for someone just to kind of help empower them and bring them back into the fold of the conversation. Or if somebody's like being asked really hard questions and they can't answer it, you can jump in and 
and help answer those questions for them. So I really like that, Nan. That's awesome. And the other thing about being a vision holder, I think is really interesting. Nan's really good at this. Um, she would often ask me questions. Verge, does, does this really help this product? I know that you want to get that into the product, but is it really? You know, I a feature creep. <laughs> but no, it'll be so much better. Uh, it's due tomorrow, Verge. No, we're done. Um, you're really good at that, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask another question. Um, and I'm going to throw this one over to Farshid. And Farshid, I want to kind of know about Tell me about your one of your mentors. You've been you've been in this industry for a long time. Um, I want to know about a mentor, and then after that, talk about what is important for you as a leader. Because I think from you know, did you learn anything from this mentor that kind of has helped evolve your leadership skills today? Yeah, actually, in my position, I've kind of played uh, every position possible, and so I've had many, many mentors. Uh, you know. Uh, especially at EA when I was learning more about the high level corporation stuff that I had no clue because I owned my own business for so many years and never had to deal with it. Uh, you know, Ryan Neider was a great mentor when it came to uh, actually teaching me more about, you know, the level of uh, complexity, uh, the nuance and the, the fun, uh, exciting things that, that come with corporate life versus having your own uh, business. Um, so he's, he's, he was a, a very strong mentor, always a supporter. And, and, you know, even to the last day when I was leaving EA, he was the person that I actually sat down and met with to tell him that that was going to happen first. So, um, you know, Will has actually been a, an inspiration from a creative perspective. I got to work with Will when, when we did our Sims translation. So um, a little bit of background there. Uh, we had to move the Sims from the PC universe to the console universe. And that was my first job there uh, as well. Um, and trying to unravel the mind of Will Wright and try to understand how he conceptually and just physically came up with this whole principle and ideas and how the game actually works and mechanics. And, and then taking that, uh, you know, someone said, well, it's just a port. And I kind of laughed. I said, well, no, it's not a port at all. It's you know, try to take something it's about, you know, gigantic and then squeeze it into a small box and then change, you know, how you control things and how the Sims act and whatnot. I mean, all that took an incredible amount of design work. And, and uh, you know, we spent um, weeks and days actually with, with them completely uh, trying to unravel, uh, you know, years and years of thought that went into it and expansion packs and then try to also have an understanding of the current audience which were, you know, people running small uh, boxes with very small capabilities on the, on the, I think that back then was the PS2 days uh, versus a massive PC with a gigantic monitor and whatnot. So um, those were, you know, those were very inspirational folks for me. And, and, I, and I, I've had, you know, many, many since then teaching me all kinds of uh, different aspects. So everything from design to business. Um, and, you know, that's kind of led me where I've had an opportunity to, turn around and give back to a lot of folks uh, in the same way. Um, so I, I have, I'm very proud that you know, I get to mentor lots of uh, you know, folks coming into this, this universe and this, this uh, genre for me. Um, so I've been very excited about that. And so, you know, giving talks at uh, colleges, you know, USC uh, and uh, Carnegie Mellon, for example, and these these kinds of talks have been uh, you know thrilling for me to be able to take some of what I've learned over the last while and, and hand it back. That's awesome. I would like to talk about um, there was a moment in time where we had to take the big Sims game that was sitting on if you you guys are on your laptops, your computers. For those of you that are watching this on your phone, it's a really small form factor, and you brought up port. We're gonna take the Sims and everything that it involves and that it is, and we're gonna port it to a phone. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a great concept. Take your Sim on the go. Your Sim's with you. Like, oh, we had AR all planned out. Your Sim was just gonna be on the table with you. My Sim was gonna be sitting on my coffee cup. But the thing that Farshid empowered with me, I was, was, I was the producer for the first Sims on mobile. It was a lot of fun. Do you know how many devices we had to port that to <laughs> in, back in the day? But a table full. But Farshid, you empowered 
need to, to know that was okay, that we could do that. And it sounds like it was because of your mentorship, both from Brian and Will, letting you understand that that was okay. We could do a port. It's not a port. It was another game experience. But it's his vision of holding what was important about The Sims and the key components of The Sims. And then we would make a new experience. And Parshid, you helped me do that. Thank you. I, I think it's just about, you know, especially being a producer or executive producer for a product, holding that vision and holding it true to someone else's vision and being able to expand upon it, you know, actually modify it, but still have that same flavor. Uh, there's often a metaphor I use, which is like, it's kind of like starter dough, you know, when you're trying to make bread, uh, in order to make sure that you have that exact same flavor, you have to start with that starter dough, but then you're baking it from scratch. So games are exactly the same way. When you, when you see games getting ported, quote unquote, to from platform to platform, if you just do a copy paste, it will fail. It's a guarantee because you're not taking advantage of the platform. You're not taking advantage of the strengths and the weaknesses of the design that, that was created because that design was created for that first platform, not necessarily for the second one. But if you can capture the flavor, the animation, whether it's sound, whether it's all the above, you know, the design work of like watching, you know, in this example, Sims, even on a small screen, they had to be larger than life and, you know, coming in and doing special things like UX and UI to help mitigate some of the problems, which is now you're on a tiny, tiny screen about that big, or you don't have the CPU power or whatever. Those are the decisions that actually end up really, really uh, making a difference and separating the okay game that's a port to an amazing game that stands on its own, although it's using the IP. So nice job, on, by the way. That's how Star is mobile. <laughs> yep. better, yeah. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. Awesome. Thanks, Marshid. Um, I'm going to transition the conversation. I'll come back to the mentor again, um, kind of ask each one of you what your mentors are. Um, but, you know, the kind of the topic of this conversation was um, it's not just the CEO. It's not just the Will Wright or the Alan Kay or the Thomas Keller that's leading an organization and leading a team of people. Um, I, every Every team member has to be a leader for what they're doing and a leader within the team. And, um, but why, why, why is that important? Um, Allison, why don't you um, let me know why you feel like that's important? Yeah, um, I would say that that's important because if you allow people to be leaders on the things that they're doing and be able to take over tasks and especially as a project manager assigned to other people, um, honestly, you're able to get a lot more done there's only so much that one leader can scale in terms of being able to do different tasks in order to be able to see the different things that are happening. But um, if you let people take ownership, then number one, they get the things done that they need to get done. They're able to work with other teams, things like that. But also I've at least seen that people feel like they have agency at that point. They feel like they are more impactful. Uh, people are less interested in just pulling a lever or pushing a button and more interested in feeling like they are either taking control of a bigger project or really owning something so that they feel fulfilled by what they're doing. And I feel like especially as we move towards bigger projects, people just feeling like what they did had an impact and what they're doing kind of branches out into bigger things beyond just what they're working on themselves. So at least that's what I've seen. So when you say it's interesting, we could couple notes there. Um, when you say kind of like they have an impact, how do you let them know or how does this individual know what their impact is on a particular project? Yeah, so 
One of the things that I do, which is um, basically my operations role, is we have a project management software. It's called Asana. Um, I really like it because you can break things down and then be able to see how your particular work on something actually ladders up to a bigger project. You can kind of zoom in and out using that. And I really like being able to have tools where it shows how your work is laddering up or how the things that you're assigning actually ladder up to the work that you're doing. So when I say impact, um, it can both be as an IC seeing how is it uh, contributes to a bigger project as well as how your assigning of work and the things you're doing there contributes to the project that you are owning, so. I like that. The other term that I kind of highlighted, I wrote down was agency and giving someone agency. What is, um, people, we, you hear that a lot in leadership conversations. Um, what is agency? Yeah, so agency is basically giving people the power to, I want to say, do the things that they want, giving them control over the things that they're doing. Um, in a lot of micromanagement situations, you don't have agency. They tell you it's going to be blue. They tell you it's going to be a square button. Uh, but when you're able to give them agency, when you're able to have that visibility to let them know and give feedback, but let them make those decisions, um, I've at least seen that people are much, much happier if they get to feel like they really do get to make the choices and uh, do the things that they are interested in. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Austin, what does it mean to be your own CEO? Um, I really like this question. Um, basically, a leader can kind of come from anywhere. You don't have to be in a leadership position to be a leader. And uh, I kind of got to experience this firsthand when Virginia asked me to be in the panel. I'm not in a leadership position at my company. So I had to kind of take a step back and be like, okay, why is she asking me to be on a leadership panel? So I had to kind of take a look at myself and figure out like, what is it that I'm doing that makes her think that I'm a leader? And I was able to kind of break it down into, into three things. Um, the first one we talked about earlier is communication. Um, and kind of being a center of communication for the team. And it, it can be something simple, like, you know, just especially being remote, like we, we're all fairly isolated and it's easy to feel that way on a team. So um, kind of talk, you know, just being the first point of contact of, you know, if, if you start a new project, get everyone in a group chat and just kind of say hi to everyone. Let them know where you're at, being vocal about where you are. And that makes you a lot more approachable when people have issues, they're going to come to you. Um, and it makes, it lets you make connections between the team. You know, if someone's having an issue with this, but you know that someone over here is the expert of that, you can pair them up and all of a sudden someone that was going to be blocked all day, got their problem solved in an hour. Um, the second one's camaraderie. Um, whenever you have a deadline or a project and you're on a team, I think it's, camaraderie is like one of the easiest things you can do because you're everyone's already behind a goal um and it's just kind of stoking that fire to get the team going and get the team motivated uh some of my favorite memories at forever with virginia was we'd be on late night calls at you know it'd be like 11 o'clock my time one o'clock her time and we'd both just you know we just have the webcam on and we'd have like three people in there we just kind of be chatting and working and it really kind of you know brings the team together it really makes you feel like you're part of something and you know, you aren't doing this solo it and it helps kind of set an optimistic tone for uh, any project you're on. Uh, and it's a really good motivator to keep people going. And the last one is uh, ownership. And I think it's really important when you're working on a project to kind of be proud of that project and look at it as a whole. Um, you don't have to stay in your lane the entire time. If you're an engineer, it doesn't mean you just, put your head down, do engineering tasks, like be curious about what's going on in the art side, what's going on in the design side. Um, you know, when you see a bug, you know, maybe we're missing art over here. You should be reaching out and letting people know, just call that out. They may already know about that, but if everybody on the team is just keeping their head down and being like, Oh, that's not my task. I'm not going to bring it up. All of a sudden things start falling through the cracks. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of cool that you can be a leader without realizing you, you're being a leader. You know, sometimes you don't have to be a leader all the time. You don't have to have it turned on all the time. It can be little things throughout your day that kind of help the team move forward and kind of brings the team together. That's awesome, Austin. The communication part of that is actually why I wanted you to be on this panel. 
And it goes up to being the center of the communication and camaraderie. It all kind of comes together. Because when you came on the team, you know, it was, oh, Austin's new. He's, you know, kind of like mid-level engineer. He's really bright. You know, should we be giving him? Because I would always be like, oh, I think Austin can handle this. <laughs> and they're, I don't know, Austin's new. You were never afraid to reach out and ask questions. You were never afraid to say, I don't understand this. Is this the right way, you know, that we should be implementing this particular task code feature? And that you brought everybody together um, to come to the answer together. And it wasn't ever designed by committee. Sometimes it was, <laughs> especially late at night, but actually we would get better outcomes sometimes like that. But you really were kind of center for communications and that is your leadership style. And that I would say is definitely your superpower. So I think I'm really happy that you were able to kind of bring that to the table. The other thing is, um, that knowing everybody where they are, starting a conversation with how are you today, you also do that. I don't know if you know you do that, but you always would do that. You would ask, what's going on? You, you would recognize something had changed you know, in their space. And I think that's really important for all of us as leaders to recognize the individuals we're, we're working with. Where are they? Because you know what? Something might not be going so well. So you may need to be, as Nan said, their shield. A little bit more today you know there could be you know something that's going on in the family that's really distracting them for the day so that's pretty important um and then i'm gonna just i'm gonna transition a little bit so everybody here has been leaders and we're not always successful <laughs> we've all kind of like i tripped i fell you know like I spilled the coffee in the middle of the meeting. Um, so I'm Allison, tell me a time when you weren't as successful as you thought you might be. Um, I would say this was very early on. And it's funny <clears throat> what you just said about Austin, because it's a little bit the different um, or a little bit different. So when I was in college, um, I ran a team of people. Each person ran a separate project, things like that. But I was very new to being a leader. I didn't know what it was. Um, so I was very matter of fact, we would assign it, I would follow up on why they weren't doing things, things like that. But very much, uh, again, also, as Nan brought up the soft skills had none of the soft skills at that point. So I was very direct, um, very efficient, I will say. But like, I didn't know, I didn't understand the need to make them feel like people make them feel like they had a contribution, things like that. So our projects were on time, but I would say morale could have been a little bit better at the time. So you can still be a leader, be incredibly efficient, have your projects be successful. But at least for me, um, and this is actually something I learned from Nan. Uh, Nan and I worked at the same company for a while, but making sure your people first is super important. So making sure that you're asking how they are, checking in on their bandwidth, uh, even just asking about their lives, super duper important, but was something I had to learn along the way because it had just never occurred to me that like people honestly, like they cared about their job in that way that they wanted to feel like they had friends that things were happening. So people first was something that I learned, but definitely something that I did not know at the beginning of being a leader. Yeah. And sometimes that comes with internal confidence, like an experience and just kind of doing it a few times um, and not being afraid to lead. So kudos to you in the sense that I could totally see you doing this, by the way, because <laughs> you're, you're very, um, you are extremely confident. And sometimes that confidence will just be, ah, we got to get through this because you probably know the answer. <laughs> and that's the efficiency. Nan, I, I can say that Nan is very good at what she does. And sometimes she gets so frustrated. She's like, I just want to get this done. I'm just going to do it. But she has learned like, to, and I'm going to let her speak to that. Um, but yeah, that, I can totally see that. So Allison, thank you for that insight. Nan. Yeah. Um, I failed a lot. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the first things, you know, self-awareness, um, and this becoming a leader, it's a journey. It, uh, it takes, you know, I, I think every year as you get older, you learn more things about yourself and it's a very painful reflection <laughs> to like go back and, you know, think about all the things you could have done better. But I think for me, uh, the self-awareness of like 
parts of my earlier transition from being an IC into actually managing a team and helping others is like, I did have an instinct sometimes to say like, oh, we should just do this or just, you know, just I'll solve it. You know, I'll do the thing. Right. But delegation is super important. And I think there were uh, times early on in my career where I, because I was such a strong IC and I could do things so quickly and I had to stop myself and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to delegate this to someone else and they might do it slower than I can do it. And that's okay. You know, that's part of their uh, growth and the team's growth. Right. And so a lot of times I've had to stop myself from just like taking over a project. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's also been like, you know, feet and foot and mouth situations where I think as an IC, like you could joke with your peers or you could say things, but as a leader, uh, sometimes those things are not appropriate, you know, to say or do. Um, and so, and that's, you know, everyone has a personal uh, like line that they can draw, like what they're comfortable with. Um, so for me, even early on, just figuring out like, you know, if I'm trying to set a good example, build trust with people around me, you know, how do I want to present myself? And I might need to tone down, you know, certain things that I might have done more of as an IC. Um, but as a leader, you know, you got to build trust, right? And maybe you can't be that class clown <laughs> as much as you, you know, might have been. Um, so yeah, just a lot of that self-reflection of like, you know, how do I present myself and how do other people perceive me? Um, and I think things that you can do is ask for feedback, right? There's always, um, you know, the ability to to just say, hey, uh, just having an honest one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, uh, what am I doing right? Or, you know, what am I not doing right? How do I improve myself? Um, and asking for feedback from people around you can be really, really helpful. Um, yeah, so that's, that's awesome. kind of, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I just realized you guys have been asking questions. Um, and Farshid, I, I'm going to ask you some of these questions and I, I'm going to sum up a couple of them. Um, and it's the kind of warning signs um, of, and oh, wow, there's actually a few, but Farshid, if you could speak to kind of warning signs, there's too much on your plate. Um, and, you know, kind of how do you delegate to others if you are not the leader in the room, right? So that's one of the questions. And um, oh, there it is. I, I like this one a lot because I think a lot of these questions are about time. And when we're in indie games and it's time, like getting to market fast and being the first one with that idea, it's all very, very important. Also getting to market so you can get feedback faster. So Farshi, talk a little bit about that. Great. Um, yeah, this one was interesting. When I saw it up there, I'm like, oh, I wish I could answer this one because, and you did, so nice. Um, look, the... We all, no matter how big the team is, I've had teams of 300, I've had teams of two, that we've always want to have this great ambition to bite off more than you can chew. And it's not just, it's not just the visionary person, it's not just the coder, it's not just the artist, it's not the animator, it's everybody. And that's okay, that's okay. The difference is that you have to know when it's enough. And when, you know, there was used to be a, a commercialist that save it for the sequel, um, but you know, you should really think about like, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, I think you said it earlier with Nan saying, you know, it, how is this going to make this product that much better if we just add it last minute rather than stressing everybody out? Um, so that's part one is understanding scope is huge in gaming. Um, and most game developers tend to fail on that because not because they don't have great vision and not because they don't have great, you know, PMing and, and whatnot. It's just simply they're overly ambitious and things just happen along the way. I've had hard drives, entire hard drive just crash and lose days and weeks of code, which is nothing that I did. It just mechanically went wrong. And now what do we do? You know, how do we recover from that? So sometimes it's in your power, sometimes it's not, but you should always keep an eye on it and keep it, you know, really be very, very diligent. And I had this fun 30% rule where everything, if you assume is going to take about 30% longer than you think, will give you enough buffer at least that you will sort of hit it on time and on budget. And then last one is like, how do you, uh, you know, it's all about teamwork also. Don't think you're the only person that needs to hold up this uh, pillar or, you know, push the ball up the hill. Even if it's just your assignment and you're the only one that can maybe code it or you're the only one that can animate it. 
bounce ideas off your team. You know, they can offer you different variations, different ways of attacking the problem. Maybe you haven't thought about, you know, more minds are much better at this than being solo. So it doesn't matter again, if you're a team of one or many, find people that you can trust, find people that you, you know, admire, and then just say, Hey, this is my problem. Like I'm the only one that can do this or write this piece of code, or I can, I'm the only one that knows how to, I'm the only animator on the product. And then, you know, what do I do? And they may came up, come up with some ideas that you may have not thought through or thought about. And that might actually save you a ton of time. Like, hey, have you thought about looping this? Have you thought about doing it this way? Have you thought about not doing it at all and doing something completely different? They'll at least open your mind into options, possibly. Because you're under stress at that point, And you may not be thinking clearly. And I know I, I, that happens to me. So I always go out and reach out to all of my folks and say, Okay, this is a group problem. I have to solve it, but it's a group problem. Let's figure out how to solve this thing together. So I really encourage you, no matter, again, what level, what structure, it doesn't really matter at that point or what position you're playing in the team. Act like a team and really push pull it together in those uh, hard moments. Um, so there's another theme of questions. Uh, so let me read this one. As a junior designer in my first role, how might I contribute as a leader? Should I focus on uplifting the design leadership, trusting their vision, vision, making my voice heard and helping others be heard? Wow. Nan, do you want to talk about this one a little bit as a design leader? Sure. Um, I've managed a lot of designers and junior designers, and I've also been a junior designer at one point in my life. I think for junior designer, the most important thing at, at this point in your career is building your hard skills and your craft. So that's one thing. Um, I think your design leader will look at you as somebody who will bring a lot of fresh perspectives to the team. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have a lot of that energy um, because you're you know young and hungry and you want to learn. Uh, so use that to help your team um, take on work that, you know, maybe seem like they're not, they may not be big work, but it'll help the team so much. Um, so one example, uh, like on my current design team, we've had uh, to build a design system and parts of building the design system. It's a lot of, you know, manual work that maybe nobody wants to do, right? Like we have to consolidate uh, icon libraries, illustration libraries, art assets, right? And it's a lot of manual labor. But it's so helpful for the team that, you know, to have somebody be able to do that. It's, you know, building the foundation. So I think, you know, definitely know that any work you're, you're doing, which may seem, you know, maybe a little low level or, or starting out, that's still helping the team um, so much. And your design leaders will thank you for that. Um, and just, you know, jump into any project, uh, sit in as much as you can on things to just listen and absorb. Um, and, you know, internally you'll process that, uh, and, you know, great things will pop out. Like after you sleep on a couple of things, right. Your subconscious will actually, um, do really great wonders with things that you've taken in. Um, so yeah, high, super high level, but happy to chat about this, uh, you know, in more detail later. Um, uh, so there's a couple questions that have been coming out about conflict. Um, and I'm going to answer that quickly. And then there's one more question about what are you looking for in teams? Because it leads into that. And then I think we might be kind of starting to run short on time. But um, yeah, there are a lot of leads that they forget the vision of the product because guess what? At one in the morning, they're like, oh, it'd be great if we added this because they forgot the core goal. And I think that if you're finding that your leadership isn't being quite as communicative, you state back and ask the question, is this the goal? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Because if you're not sure, or if you don't feel like they're communicating, if you ask them the question and just, yeah, a lot of times they can't get, you can't get to them, find them on Slack, send them an email. Also, don't be afraid to ask the questions within your closest knit group. And if you guys together, it's kind of like your neighbors, talk to your neighbors first and then go to the community, you know, and then of course you go up. It's like kind of get your, excuse the language, but get your shit together as a group first. And if you feel like the leadership here isn't quite working the way they should, then you can go and ask them as a collective group, you've all got the vision together and just make sure that that vision is correct. So start local and then start going back up. Um, and then what are we looking for as, as teams? What, do, what are we looking for in a team? 
Um, Allison, do you want to talk about what you're looking for? Because you're out there kind of looking to give out scholarships. What are you looking for in teams? What are you looking for in leaders? Yeah, uh, in terms of what I'm looking for in leaders versus individual contributors is, um, and actually this taps into a, a different question I think we had here about uh, how much do you have to know in order to be a leader if you don't know enough about the project or things like that. Um, I look for people who are A, able to learn and B, willing to learn and trust the people underneath them. Um, as a project manager, a lot of the time, and also I do resource management, a lot of the time I have to trust the people under me to know more than I know about specific things and to be able to answer questions about it. So one of the teams that I do resource management for is a design team. I don't know anything about design. Um, I'm honestly terrible at design. So I want to find people who are experienced enough that they are able to make those decisions but then the really important thing to me there is that they can communicate why they made those decisions or at least talk me through it or be able to answer questions about it. So um, as a leader myself, I need to be able to trust the leaders under me and then also be able to trust those leaders to trust the leaders under them. So um, I guess it's a little bit reverse of what I also look in, for, in what I want in myself as a lead but also uh, what I want in the people under me. So it's people who are able to execute, but also people who are able to communicate what they're executing, so. Awesome, and then uh, one other last question. Um, do we have time for one last question or no? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Pick a question, we've got two left. Actually, we've got three. So for everybody that's in chat right now with questions we're not going to get to, we're going to kick them over to the Discord. As soon as we're done here, I'll paste them over there so everybody can answer. But yeah, pick one more and, and roll with it. Yeah, and I this is actually, Austin, this is a good one for you. Um, how much of all the roles in an organization are you supposed to understand? Like, you know, as a team lead, right? Because as you yourself, you're young, you're new in this organization, you know, you can't actually take over all the different positions because you are new, need, you are new. Um, so for you, how much of all the other roles is it important for you to understand? And how do you review that work if you can't really help others because you haven't even had those roles? Sure. Um... I mean, I would say you definitely don't have to be an expert in every in every role, but being curious and kind of dipping your toes into some of the different um, some of the different disciplines is always a good thing. Uh, coming from making some of my own games, that was helpful because you know I had to do a little bit of art, I had to do a little bit of audio. So if you you know if you kind of know the surface level of what these things are, you can rely on your team and uh, others who are experts in that area to kind of help you. Um, so, you know, if, if for some reason you're having to review art, um, I don't know why I'd be doing that as an engineer, but Hey, we were short staffed, you know, I could reach out to one of my artist friends and be like, Hey, you know, I'm reviewing this. These are my base thoughts on what's going on. Can you back this up? Can you, um, you know, do you have any extra feedback? So, I mean, I think it's important to kind of know what's going on around you. You don't want to just stay single lane, single lane, like single minded, on uh on one discipline you should definitely you know kind of look up and see what's going on i mean a lot like a lot of things it's from a surface level it's pretty easy to understand i mean looking at design it's pretty you're pretty quick to figure out like hey this design obviously isn't working right it's like it's like human nature like if if ui is bad or ux is bad like you can feel it and that's something you can bring up you may not be able to like solve the problem but exactly solve it or know exactly what it is but you can at least bring it forwards and be like hey this doesn't feel like it's working um you know can somebody take a look at this i'm going to sum that up as be the player everyone on this call everyone on in the room we are players of our games so you are a leader as soon as you become a player of your game let your players be leaders and you all be leaders in your organizations and ask the questions. Thanks, guys. This has been awesome. Thank you. Everyone. Because it is good. These are these are the talks that you don't usually see. It's you know, it's not necessarily about how to pitch your game, but this is very important stuff that we're going through here. And you know, even I learned something. One of the questions that 
I posted over the Discord, I want to hear the answer to. So, all right. So if you have further questions and you're not on the Discord, why are you not on the Discord? There's like 4,000 other game devs, publishers, marketing experts, investors, all the way over there that you can network with. But go to discord.gg slash indie game business. We're going to close this one down and Indy is going to come right back with a keeping the theme basically. And uh, Maggie's going to be talking about fostering a people first studio. So we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.